Hello and welcome to the Fit and Feminist podcast with fitness and nutrition coaches Lauren and Lindsay. Our aim is to educate and empower women to take control and rebuild confidence with their health, fitness and lives. We have the fitness facts and no-nonsense nutrition tips you need for success with a hefty dose of feminism thrown in. With top bands and massive oversharing along the way, we hope you finish each episode feeling a step closer to the life and results you deserve. If you'd like more of us or have a question you'd like answering on the podcast, you can message us at Lauren Randall Fitness and at Lindsay Wells PT and Nutrition. All right, let's get started. My naked tree. We put our tree up and then realised. Oh, cool. Um, not, not us, we're not together. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Becky, we put our tree up and then realised we've lost all of our baubles and lights and everything since we moved. So we just have this. Oh, okay, I was just like, how do you lose baubles? <laughs> well, that's a great question. We don't know where it's gone. I'm like, how do we have the tree but none of the decorations? So I don't know. That's okay. Right. Let's jump on in, shall we? Let's dive in. So, uh, unless if you want to start with, like, your whole story, why you're on the podcast, how I know you, and, yeah, just you go for it, mate. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think I know you, Lauren, because we met at the last Level Up event, right? I don't actually yeah. know, were you there in March as well? Uh, yeah, I Fast was there month, in March, yeah. but we met at I the don't last one. We- yeah, but I don't think we really chatted then, yeah. Um, so yeah, so because I gave a talk basically on fertility awareness and the reason um, I'm kind of interested in this topic is basically just based off of my own, um, just off my own experience with it. So me and my husband, we started trying to conceive um, in 2020. Sorry, every time I think about this, I have to put it, just because of the pandemic, everything is just... Lost. Like, it's a big like, blur. What, like, yeah. what's happened? I don't... No concept of time. But I think it was in 2020. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, and after a while, like, it just wasn't going the way, you know, we thought it was going to go. I think we're very much in this mindset, or specifically me, in this mindset of, like, I mean, truly, you only have sex once, unprotected, and then you're pregnant, because that's what we have been told. <laughs> yeah, you will get forever. pregnant and die. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you will get every disease under the planet. (laughs) But but yeah, so I was very much in the mindset. And to be fair, like I did have a couple of friends that were kind of a little bit like, yeah, I mean, you know, it took us a little bit, like a couple of months or a few months or something like that. So I was aware of it in that respect. But deep down, I was just like, no way. I'm young. I'm fit. (laughs) I'm going to get pregnant. Look how fertile I am. (laughs) Um, And yeah, well what like eight months later turns out no it didn't happen um we did actually get a positive test but it ended like in a really early miscarriage basically which again I was just like what the hell is that like what what's happening here you know it was just very confused and I think that was also the that was like the what was it like the second or third lockdown we were in we'd just come out of like kind of Christmas and it was just like a really just a terrible time and just January was a bit crap to be quite honest and I was just that was kind of like my low like I laugh about it because that's how I kind of cope with (laughs) um just with things happening in my life I suppose but at the time that was really where I was at my lowest point um when I like with kind of the whole like trying to conceive journey and everything and I was just so confused of what's going on and I was sitting there and I would watch like hours of like YouTube videos of like lectures that were aimed at like medical students to explain to them like female reproduction and stuff like that just for like any kind of hint of like what we could do and obviously there wasn't anything because you know I can't really go inside and like change things up or you know it's the same obviously with with my husband like that you know you just unfortunately a lot of it is just down to chance and 
just the way you know your eggs or your sperm are developed and just things take longer and now I know this with hindsight um but yeah but I think that's kind of originally how we kind of got into this process and because I've learned so much on that journey which I thought like if I would have known that from the start like to just expect that maybe things might take a little bit longer or yeah I think I think I would have never even gotten to the point where things were so dire at that stage so I think I really felt like oh if I can kind of create a bit more awareness around that then that would be really helpful hopefully to other people as well um our then our journey kind of took a little bit of a turn because my husband also has a hereditary condition which has nothing to do with his fertility or anything but because I was consuming so much information and content around fertility I found out that there is a way by going through the IVF process where you can genetically test the embryos that you create and uh, you can test them for the hereditary condition and by that we basically discarding those and kind of only using the embryos that are that don't have the condition and that would mean basically that we are so it's a dominant uh, condition so like there's always a 50-50 chance of of like of each child or of each embryo having it so quite high and um yeah and that way if we if we were to go through this process we would have an opportunity to basically just stop that condition from ever being passed on ever again in in our in anybody that comes afterwards basically and um yeah learned about this process obviously at the time didn't really have that much idea of what IVF was like or what what was really involved in it um but also because we learned of the process there wasn't really then a way where we were like nah let's just not do that like it was kind of just like well we kind of have to <laughs> at least kind of try or find out a wee bit more about it or at least that's mm-hmm. what we felt um yeah and then we that was last year May that we started that or like acquired about it and then now fast forwarding to the end of September this year going into October that's when we actually um that the kind of IVF the injections stimulating the ovaries collecting the eggs and we're kind of like still like now we're in the middle of like we've done the egg collection we've done the genetic testing and now we're thinking about transferring at some point so it's been I'm just going to stop there because I feel like I could talk like for the next two hours just about what happened the last year (laughs) what a story so it's been 18 months from when you first started thinking about IVF to actually beginning IVF yeah, and that's pretty standard, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. it's a long process, isn't it? Yeah, that's long. Yeah. I mean, the first and, thing... Yeah, unless you go private, that's maybe... Then it would probably be a little bit quicker, but... Um, yeah. How I, much... I mean, there's various scenarios. It can be quite individual. Like, for some people, it might be even longer than that, because in the meantime, there might be other things that are coming out. You know, you might suddenly have... Find out that you've got a fibroid or something in your in your womb or in your ovaries or whatever, whatever. Then that still needs to be removed. And to be honest, for a long for a lot of people, probably <clears throat> for a lot of people, the whole journey will probably be even longer because, especially if we're talking about couples who, so we we did start the kind of like infertility testing at the same time as well, just because we were then kind of like going up to a year of trying, and that's kind of the point where you can go and like seek help from your GP. So we we were doing this at the same time as well. But then once we done like kind of the basic testing the gynecologist was just like well if you are doing IVF for genetic reasons anyway you might as well just jump ahead and do that like usually other things would be happening other testing would be happening and um in in between and you would kind of try a few other things first so in that sense I suppose we saved a little bit of time but still yeah yeah 18 months 
Yeah, I had no concept of how long... I don't really know anything about it. And I think one of the big reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast was because it isn't talked about and there isn't information Mm -hmm. there. And I know I've got clients that can't get pregnant and it feels like something they don't want to talk about. Obviously, you know, that's fine. And I've got clients that do want to get pregnant next year. Again, that's not really discussed too much. And like you said, you're looking at YouTube videos for lectures on it because there's no information. So, and, and you know, I'm not planning on having babies or anything but it'd be super helpful for me and everybody to just know a little bit more about the process how it works you know we've got a whole bunch of questions to go through so yeah yeah I just it's kind of shocking at how little information there is and that what you have to come up against and then how long you have to wait as well even though you do it quite quick I mean now now in hindsight like talking a lot of it obviously now in hindsight like I also get in a way why they may be I think it's maybe hard to really sum up like all the things that you might need to know like there are maybe like some basics I think just about managing expectations but then I think there's also the other side of it which I think had a lot to do with why I also felt so low because I just got overly obsessed with trying to find something which again is really common that happens that you really you would just do anything just out of desperation because you just I always think like I don't know if I'm, and I'm not trying to like generalize it just like as a like I think sometimes this image of a woman is that yeah we all want children but obviously not everybody wants that which is absolutely fine but for me personally like wanting children or seeing myself as a mom has always been something that I had in the back of my mind and I think then I think and I don't know if maybe that's because of it but that's why like it's just this desperation it's really hard to explain but you, but you would literally do anything and especially considering that I'm a nutrition coach like I actually obviously so I had to lose weight then also to be eligible for IVF yeah. and even I got to the point where I was just like I might just try a 1200 calorie diet because <laughs> maybe it'll just maybe it'll just work yeah like, just that's throwing anything just, at it it's just the rational part and the kind of emotional part of your brain I just yeah just it's just mental just the way you go through it (laughs) I think sometimes as well like if you're around that age where like a lot of your friends are also in the same position like one Mm. you know people start having children you see you see that sort of cycle of like people get married all around the same age and then all of a sudden one after the other it's like and so I think there's this um myth that it's like well this is what happens and then you just try for a baby and then immediately it happens within a couple of months and like say as teenagers you're kind of like taught aren't you don't don't have sex you'll definitely get pregnant immediately Um, and then you start trying for a baby and you're like after if it doesn't happen the first couple of months you immediately go oh my god what have I done I'm infertile like you start panicking about it and it's like you say when you decide that that's what you want it's like so consuming of like you want it so bad that you will literally do anything and try and find out every little thing about you know how to make it happen and start absolutely catastrophizing about (laughs) why Mm. it's not happening straight away yeah, well, I think also in our day and age, the way we, you know, so I, I'm still somebody that grew up without the internet and whatnot as a child, but obviously then it kind of changed and we're so used to just instant gratification. Like, when do you really have to wait for things anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, just not really, you know what I mean? And I think as coaches, we all know how we're having to kind of teach our clients that and encourage that in our clients, you know, to, to be more patient, you know, when it comes to maybe like, you know, nutrition. growing muscle or losing weight <laughs> yeah, or nutrition yeah. or all these kind of things. Did and you hear that, exactly guys? Patience. <laughs> that's what we're having to teach people again. And it's kind of similar. In a way, it's similar, I suppose, with trying to conceive, even though I think the, the reward is still there a lot more because at least you will see something. You know, you mm. will see your lifts going up. You will you will eventually see the scale going down or the measurements going down or, or up, whatever you prefer to do. But um, 
yeah with trying to conceive it is absolutely nothing that tells you if you're doing something right or wrong it's just so, just uh, random tests that you do <laughs> how long so I, if someone told me it took them six months to get pregnant I would not know if that's long or short if they said six weeks I wouldn't know if that's long or short and so how long would be would you keep trying for before you think okay maybe we should get tested and see if mm-hmm. there's something going on here that's not just you know bad luck so I think like if you if you Unless there's already any kind of signs that, you know, where you think like, oh, my periods are quite irregular, you know, you know that maybe you you have some PCOS symptoms or um, you kind of, you, you've maybe been in discussion with your doctor about things related to, to, to gynecological things or something like that, then I think the, the standard phrase is that you have to try for a year before you can be seen by a doctor. And a year sounds really long. But then on the other hand, if you t- if you think about it in terms of actual fertile days or, you know, fertile windows that in, in terms of a woman's cycle, that's only yeah. 12 times, which isn't actually that long or not that much or not that much to try for something so, like, incredible to work, you know, or for mm-hmm. some, yeah. And I think if you also think about all the things that actually have to go right, so that's where it's kind of like, it's it's useful to actually understand the kind of, the biology behind it because it makes you so aware how incredibly insane it is that we actually even alive on this planet mm-hmm. because of all the things that have to kind of fall into place for it to work um so yeah i think again now with hindsight you know 12 12 months doesn't seem too long but obviously if when you're stuck in the process and you're trying to figure it out and you're like just stressed by life in general then you're stressed because you're trying to figure out how to even identify your fertile days you might be testing for ovulation you're trying to figure out how to like sneak in the test into your work so you can pee on them or you know and then you're running home and phoning your partner and going you know we need to we need to do it tonight and then <laughs> let's go you know I mean? because you're both just really tired like a drill sergeant yeah it's just all these things I think just accumulate so much and I think just over time yeah then I think and in that respect like 12 months can just feel absolutely torturous I guess yeah. the doctor wouldn't know if you'd been trying for 12 you could say oh you've been trying for a year and actually it's only yeah. been six months they wouldn't yeah. know I mean yeah the, the reality is though that it probably for for the majority of couples and yeah and in terms of like research and in terms of like time to pregnancy research now the research there isn't like loads on it to be fair and some of the studies are quite old and it's kind of just retrospectively that they look at you know how long it's taken for people but I think in general it is actually I think it's something like 80 to 90 percent of uh, couples will conceive within a year which is actually a lot like mm. you know so in that in that respect you know kind of managing the expectation um, yeah it's, it's really important to kind of to see like actually maybe trying for a year is pretty normal and that's okay it's just on the other side we also know how under-researched um like female gynecological issues are like you know any kind of women's health issues mm-hmm. and to be honest also a lot of men's like um like fertility related research isn't isn't that established i suppose it's more and more there's more and more interest coming out of it now now that we're seeing how like sperm count has halved like since the yeah. 70s like average sperm count and stuff Crazy. like that what? Uh-huh. yeah um, so now now the focus is back on that but i don't think you know how like how women tend to go for checkups you know maybe once a year or whatever or at least we have smear tests all these kind of things like that doesn't even exist for for men or at least not as far as i know um mm. So just stuff like that. So I think um, 
with that in mind as well, I also think that maybe waiting a year is ridiculous because you don't know what's going on. You know, you might be able to just use that time a lot more wisely mm. um, than waiting a year and then, you know, seeing your doctor and kind of finding out all sorts of other things. So just in terms of if we're thinking about like how even though like your fertility doesn't just like drop off a cliff when as a woman and when you turn 35 but there is a real like there is a significant decline of fertility over over the years and somebody that tries to conceive before the age of like in their 20s or before the age of like 35 38 statistically speaking is 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 probably going to be less time to pregnancy compared to somebody who tries to conceive like after the age of 38 going on to 40 etc it's just like that is a fact like we know that so I think so time does play a role so in a way like 12 months isn't long to try but on the other hand if there was something going on you know you'd kind of think like well we could probably just to start sooner to, to look into it basically yeah and I, I think women are having babies a little later on and say they start trying at like 32 and then by 34 yeah. they're still not pregnant then they find out all this yeah. stuff then they've got to wait 18 months they could be 37 yeah. 38 etc before yeah. they're even conceiving when they went into this thinking oh it should be a couple of months so I guess that's why it's super important to get a bit of a reality check on how long it could take yeah yeah well I think that's why I think now I think now they're kind of catching on to the things that you know I think is is it in America maybe where some companies or some or I think maybe here as well who are kind of trying to encourage women to like freeze their eggs for example Mm -hmm. if they are younger and I think they're kind of looking into schemes where people can be financially supported because I think at the moment that's you know it's not obviously not on the NHS or so that you get it and it can be quite expensive to do that but just to kind of preserve like younger eggs basically to to have more options then because because, like you said, you know, we know that um, um, that like trying to conceive or like like growing your family is something that people tend to do later in life because you know you want to have a career, like or you know you maybe just you know want to feel financially more stable or for lots of reasons. I mean, trying to even find somebody that you really want to have kids with yeah. is hard enough. <laughs> and the old I mean? Tinder, Tinder generation, yeah, Tinder yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, could you imagine writing that in your bio? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Clock's ticking. Home, let's go. So, <laughs> so talking about um, you know age as a factor of something that affects fertility what other things are sort of you know predominantly affect fertility for both men men and women it's actually pretty similar and I think it's it's also a little bit boring because it's just in the sense that just having a leading like a kind of an overall like kind of healthy life like a balanced diet like um, trying to like reduce your saturated fats um, like just exercising regularly all these kind of things have basically like a cumulative effect so there is nothing that you can either do or avoid well except for like obviously things like drug use you know reducing alcohol like smoking uh, quitting smoking is, is really important as well um but also on the other hand you know people do still get pregnant you know people do fall mm. pregnant oh, whether so they cool. might be heavy drug users you know all these kind of things so it's not completely impossible um, and also if we're thinking about like stress and like, I mean, people have have been pregnant and have born children during war times, during famines, you know what I mean? It's not like, like otherwise, like humanity would just not yeah. exist if, you know, if, if it wouldn't happen. But I suppose if we're talking about trying to create like the best environment or um, to, yeah, to just kind of create the best chances of conception, then yeah, it's about kind of just making sure, like I said, 
minimizing alcohol or at least kind of just no binge drinking you can still have alcohol but no binge drinking no smoking and especially when it comes further down the line to assisted conception you're not allowed to smoke like you won't get any kind of funded treatment if you are smoking that is something that they're testing for um trying to like depending on where and I know that when I say BMI, this is, I'm not talking so much about BMI, but I suppose also just the the behaviours that tend to be related to having a high BMI is often the kind of things that we want to look at kind of changing. Like I said, kind of exercising more, eating a more um, kind of balanced diet, like eating vegetables and fruit is probably one of the key things that you can do just because of the kind of nutrition that you get from vegetables and fruit and a lot of people just really don't eat enough of that and I would even kind of go beyond the five a day to try and kind of build up to just as much as possible but body weight can play a role as well and again it won't be in everybody and I think it's really important to say that factors need to be weighed up you know I mean if somebody's having a really hard time for example losing body fat then I probably think like focusing on other things like getting them to walk a little bit more or just to improve the nutrition will have significant, significant impact on all of this. And I think, you know, the kind of body weight can sometimes just be a lot a lot of couples or a lot of people might go to their doctor and the doctors will even just refuse to even see them before they have lost any kind of weight. And I don't think that that's quite right either because, you know, like I said, you know, age and time and all these things do matter as well. So I think it kind of needs to be tackled at the same time. But both for women and men, I suppose higher body fat levels could mean that, you know, there's higher estrogen levels and higher estrogen levels can impact on you know, just fertility in terms of the sperm development or the egg development or the kind of environment that the, the sperm and the egg live in and kind of higher leptin levels, the same thing as well. And they can impact testosterone levels as well. So it could be impacting on like the quality of the sperm and the egg um, by imbalancing kind of like hormones and stuff like that. But again... I think what's really important is just that there's there's probably lots of there's lots of things that somebody can do to kind of help themselves, but I think it's also important not to get overwhelmed with and just try and do like absolutely everything at the same time because mm-hmm. that isn't really helping anybody either. Sounds like sense. that's coming from experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like I said, twelve hundred calorie diets. I did yeah. try it as well, but obviously it didn't work. <laughs> no. Spoiler. No. <laughs> so one of the questions was, um, is it more the health of the woman or the man when it comes to conceiving or is it 50-50 and say you are trying to conceive and, and do these healthy diets and exercise, is it both couples need to be doing the work 50-50? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think, again, like, and if, there, if there's any kind of, like, diagnosed conditions, then it might obviously be different because, you know, then, you know, the doctor or the fertility uh, consultant will be able to kind of um, help you with that. But when it comes to kind of like nutrition and lifestyle changes absolutely i think it should definitely be tackled from both sides the reality i think is that it's probably just a lot of women doing it and i'm not trying to diss men or anything like that with that but i think sometimes i think it can be quite hard for men to be included in the pro the process and obviously that it's their own responsibility to contribute to the process and to into kind of want to make changes as well but I think a lot of the advice a lot of the literature even when you go to the doctor the doctor mostly just addresses the woman in the in the in the meeting or in the in the appointment um so yeah so I think there's definitely something to be said about I think health professionals needing to speak to men and address them actually and say to them no you should also be doing x y and z I suppose to to help you especially because I think there's actually more evidence to show that lifestyle changes can make a significant impact to sperm quality um 
then then the equality and also I think it's, it's, it's a lot easier to test I suppose because it's not as invasive having to get sperm <laughs> just by that yeah, by that completely. practice I suppose yeah so what is um, bringing down the sperm count what is having an effect gen- on male sperm count yeah I think just in general I think from what I can tell I think it's just just lifestyle that has changed so much yeah. over the years in terms of like you know we're sitting we're a lot more sedentary you know just higher saturated fat levels all these kind of things again like I don't think that this is necessarily like these are like the only reasons but I think there can be there's also there's quite a bit of research coming out about like environmental like toxins and stuff like yeah. that um that that I think maybe not so much not so much as an individual but that it's, it's kind of quite popular in the in the infertility community to kind of swap all your perfume soaps to like non-perfume ones and um making sure that you only use like glass instead of like plastic tupperware for example yeah. these things and again like the cumulative of effect of like removing these kind of things out of your out of your environment in in the hope that that might might help but this, I think that research around it, as far as I understand, is like at cell level and it's quite mechanistic. Like it's not, you know, they don't have research where a group of humans ate plastic out of plastic yeah. containers mm. and they didn't fall pregnant. And then, you know, the other group ate from glass and they fell pregnant, you know, like yeah. they, this just doesn't exist. I think they just know that maybe, and I think it's all about like the, so when we're talking about sperm and DNA quality, uh, sperm and egg quality we're talking actually about the makeup of the dna inside it so that is how like intricate i suppose it is you know and we just don't really have that kind of level of of, of research in a way where you can just manipulate that or anything like that and it's more about like in the development like the way the sperm and eggs develop and the fluid around it which provides kind of the kind of uh nurturing for the egg and for the sperm for example and it's about like what's in those fluid type things that can then impact the the building of the dna that's how i understand it obviously i'm not an embryologist but mm-hmm. um so but i think what i'm just trying to say is like it's, it's, it's such a granular level where it then comes down to and like in the kind of methods for research and all these kind of things it's obviously quite yeah quite intricate what is what is needed and quite detailed so that being said if poor sperm is the reason this is another question for infertility what can a man do to improve the quality of their sperm yeah um so i think first of all do you even understand whether there is poor so so for for sperm there's like different so like there's the quality side of things in terms of the dna but when you actually get your sperm tested they also look for like the morphology so for like the shape of the sperm Mm -hmm. and the motility so um so like all the sperm will be like in a little petri dish and they can see how they move you know from kind of one end to the other basically and they look for that as well the morphology and the motility and then also the amount of sperm that is actually in the ejaculate because ejaculate can have zero sperm in it it can just be liquid for example as well so that and for some people that that is that is the case um so in terms of then improving that um definitely like definitely important to obviously speak to your to your doctor and your fertility clinic because they might be able to kind of offer more tailored like supplementation or if you speak to like a specific like fertility dietitian for example like sometimes with supplementation if they can identify if there's any kind of nutritional gaps for example then they would be able to help with that but in general just like day to day it's definitely just lifestyle changes like I said in terms of reducing like saturated fat reducing kind of like really like charring your meat like kind of not eating so much of the kind of like black or like charring your toast these kind of things making sure that you like increase um 
increase uh, vegetables and fruit intake, um, good fats, like things like salmon, nuts, olive oil. And that's just in general, kind of like Mediterranean diet is what's kind of recommended yeah. for fertility for, for, for women and men. And I think that's really good because like if you're a couple together you can make those changes together and it will help you together it's not just like one person has to do this and the other person has to do that genuinely thinking about taking maybe like a preconception um multivitamin as well like just to kind of help with that but obviously the reality is like you do need to also improve your diet like the supplement alone won't won't help anything um but i think more tailored if there is specific like issues with the sperm then the the fertility clinic would be able to um to help kind of with more tailored supplementation in terms yeah. because they have to take your blood and actually check what your dosages are and can then help you with that because just willy-nilly taking supplements is a complete waste of money and might not actually help anything mm. yeah yeah so at the start you said you're i think are you like six weeks into your ivf treat treatment is that right uh, well kind of like a couple well so we so it was at the end of september that we started and then at the beginning of, of, of October, we had the egg retrieval. So you take injections for a while and then um, the eggs get retrieved from me and then we created embryos. Yeah, so how, what is the kind of um, the story, the lifespan? How, how does it work from like, yep, we're going to do IVF to like, we're doing IVF mm-hmm. to like, oh, hopefully yeah. we're pregnant. Like, what is that journey? Yeah. So again, I just need to caveat that it, it took a little bit longer for us just because of the whole genetic side as well. So we originally actually wanted to do private, but we thought, so there's an NHS waiting list, basically. And that, this, is the, this is the way, yeah, this is the way it is here in Scotland. In Scotland, we're actually really fortunate that we get three free IVF rounds, like completely a complete IVF run. So that's from the start to you create embryos and however many embryos you have, you can transfer them all. You can try to transfer them all. And if and failing that none of them take, you can then start a second round of IVF. So it's actually like you get quite a lot of like free IVF here. Whereas down in England, it depends on the individual um, clinical commissioning groups like the CCGs, like who who can just decide for themselves how much they can allocate funding they can allocate so in some places you might only get one round and other places there might be other criteria attached in terms of age again bmi some people say it needs to be a bmi of uh, under 30 some people say under 27 some people some clinics will have a 35 it just it really depends but anyway um so you need to fulfill all these kind of criteria to be able to actually go and get referred for IVF. And obviously before that, there might be a lot of testing involved as well to even establish what the what the reason is for why you are not trying to, why, for why you are not conceiving. And there might be something that, like I said, you there might be something like that the, the ovarian tubes are blocked and, you know, might have to be removed eventually and then you have to be referred for IVF. But it could also just be that everything looks absolutely fine. There's absolutely nothing that would point to anything being wrong. And then they call it unexplained infertility, <laughs> which is just really, just, really just so unexplained. <laughs> that's that's the, um, the diagnosis. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, anyway, so then once you get... So usually then depending on what the diagnosis is, you would probably, first of all, get referred for some, either maybe some sort of like assisted, like some other type of assisted conception. So it could be taking medication. So some some women might be taking Clomid, for example, which will help them to 
ovulate regular more regularly for example this could be started or you could then be like the next level so to speak would probably be like IUI so that's when you the clinic monitors you all the way up until ovulation and then inseminates like it then puts the sperm into the womb and then the sperm still needs to try and find its way to the actual egg um this is also what you would like what gay couples for example would would go so they would do IUI to be able to try and fall pregnant um and then what if that hasn't ha- if that hasn't worked then you would usually be referred for IVF and IVF is the um is where you uh, start like the woman the female will um start like injections there's been various different protocols just depending on what the the fertility clinic or what the doctors think will work the best it is a bit of a lottery though like nobody can really tell you this is how exactly you're going to respond to the medication and it's all going to go well so you know they're like usually the first the first cycle yeah like i said is a little bit of a lottery and they will just try you on a protocol what they think will work based on whatever they know about you um and then you just have to see how it goes but you basically inject yourself i had two injections i had to do one in the morning one in the evening and then after like kind of seven eight days or so you go for a scan and they check how you have responded basically to the injections and based on that they make kind of other decisions so i then only had one other scan two days later and i was already just like so done i just really wanted somebody to just like rip my ovaries out because it just was just so uncomfortable yeah in my case it was but i think i think i had like i think i was borderline overstimulated so that's like a thing that can happen like especially for people like so i i don't have pcos but I do because I'm still like young and my ovarian reserve was still quite high, I think. Um, I think that's why maybe, and, and I suppose the protocol did work quite well for me, I suppose. So that I think that's why I just responded quite well to the medication. But I think it can, especially with people who have like really high ovarian reserves who, for example, people with PCOS, they have a lot of follicles kind of around anyway. And if they, and they, they're usually kind of, uh, they have to be, the fertility clinic has to be really careful to not overstimulate them or it kind of happens like, you get mild mild OHSS it's called and I think I was kind of a little bit close to that to be quite honest I think that's why I was so uncomfortable um but yeah but for other people so for me it was in eventually it was like a two-week process but I was also on a short protocol whereas for other people it might be closer to like a four to six week process um and yeah and then they retrieve then they I went into surgery, they retrieved my eggs. It's like really just a minor, like a small procedure. You only end the hospital for like a few hours or so. And then you, you're kind of done basically. And then you go home and then I just had to lie down for three days. Oh god. <laughs> That's so sore. That's but so, yeah, but oh, no. it'll be worth it, <laughs> hopefully. So you've done you yeah. do two weeks uh, like a couple of injections, you go, they take your eggs, you lay down because it was painful. <laughs> And then they come back to you saying, like, it's a hit or it's not a hit, basically, at that point. So, so then, so once you, um, so once you, once they retrieve the eggs, again, it depends on the fertility clinic, what their, what their kind of like protocol is. Um, so the fertility clinics, they are attached to the lab where all the embryos and all the, the, the eggs are then kept. So yeah, you literally like you go into theatre and I think it's the same kind of everywhere. And there's like a little hatch in the wall and then the embryologist and you see like all the incubators in the back. Um, <laughs> like and it's just the embryologist. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and they just, because I think they literally retrieve them and then they just pass them through to the hatch, basically to the embryologist, and they kind of take it from there. And they basically just monitor them. They put them in a, the eggs in an incubator and they check for what is called whether they are mature. Now, I don't know what exactly that looks like because that's like, that kind of, like I said, goes like into embryology. But they want to know that the eggs are mature. And then in our case, we did something, what is called ICSI. So technically speaking, IV, IVF is like a particular way of where you put eggs in a Petri dish and you add the sperm to that and then you and then you wait until the sperm and the egg meet themselves in the Petri dish and then you take out who, whichever ones were fertilised and that's your embryos. We did ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which is actually how IVF is always de- like depicted like if you see if you google IVF and you see a picture of it you see how there's like an like kind of like a pipette or like an injection yeah. thing going yeah. into the egg but that's actually not IVF <laughs> that's actually ICSI so that's when they take an egg and they they select specific sperm from the ejaculate and they actually inject it into the egg and force the fertilization basically um so yeah so that's what we did in our case which sometimes they do that because, for example, if there is male factor infertility, so if there isn't enough sperm or they're not quite sure of their quality or they can see that, you know, maybe a lot of the sperm might be like not quite moving as they want them to be, then they can be quite picky and select the sperm that look the best, basically, in the hope that they fertilize better. Um, In our case, the reason we had to do the injection is because the genetic, if you just leave it up to themselves, I think they can be just mixing the egg and the ejaculate all together can can leave like residues on the eggs and if they want to do the genetic testing that can interfere with that so basically that's why uh, they injected them um yeah so then you get a phone call to tell you no so right after the surgery they tell you how many eggs they have collected then the next day you will get a phone call how many have fertilized so that happens overnight and then sometimes people will get like a two days later sort of day three update to tell them okay this is how you're embryos are growing some people might then get a phone call to say we want to we want to transfer a day three embryo um most people probably have to wait until day five after egg collection because that's usually kind of the window where um yeah you want to see the embryo develop to and then you get a phone call and you can transfer the embryo if you have a fresh transfer that's what's called a fresh transfer um, in our case, we had a what's called a freeze-all. And again, this will happen to a lot of people who um, maybe have been overstimulated as well because then actually attempting pregnancy but with a transfer can be more detrimental, I suppose. So sometimes they will just tell people that, you know, you need to freeze all your embryos. But in our case, again, because we did the genetic testing, that was the only option anyway. So we just got a phone call on day five to tell us how many embryos we had and then how many would get sent away for genetic testing. But for anybody who has genetic testing, yeah, then it would probably take like, a, it can take quite, a, well, in our case, it was like three weeks. Um, For some people, it can take even longer. It can t- sometimes take four to six weeks before you have the results back. It really depends. Um, If you are not doing any kind of genetic testing, but in any case, you will have to wait until you then have a withdrawal bleed. <laughs> um, so it's not a period, but it's just because of, of all the stimulation you got so many hormones obviously for two weeks and then you get the final trigger injection as well and all of that just comes crashing down basically so that's why your body thinks you know hormones are low so we just shed everything like we shed the lining basically of the womb so you have your withdrawal bleed and then usually you have to wait until you have another period before you can then phone in um to book like a transfer 
basically, if you have not had a first transfer. And if you don't have regular periods, which a lot of women who are struggling to get pregnant probably don't, they could be waiting two, three, four months if they don't have another bleed. Yeah, so t- the thing is, like, IVF, the stimulation can mess up your period anyway. So I'm somebody that has regular periods. However, like, my period just now from after egg collection or after the withdrawal bleed, I think I've waited, like, 45 days, and I'm usually, like, a 28-day mm-hmm. person. So, um, yeah, I think just in general, the kind of the, the injections can kind of just mess things up a little bit. Again, it might it might depend on the clinic as well. Like, there might be other clinics who are kind of like technically you could just you wait for your withdrawal bleed and you could you could just start again you could just do something else and do like a medicated transfer but um but i think i think my clinic does it that way because that's how they manage the numbers because they only have so and so many spaces available each week that they can take in for for treatment basically so i think that's yeah so i think it, sometimes it can, probably just comes down to clinic management as well and that's why they just say for some people they do say oh no we'd quite like to just have like see your body just have one period just to kind of make mm. sure that things are kind of going the way they should mm. um but yeah. so you have yeah, your but... you have another bleed and then you can go back to the clinic and then they can insert the embryo is that right yeah so so the so the the, the actual transfer for most people is medicated again so that's another like eight week process before you actually <laughs> before you like, actually transfer anything yeah this is a lot <laughs> longer and like mentally probably just exhausting yeah well to be fair I I was actually like in a way like I really appreciated like the last 40 days I think just that I've had like a break from just the way like for me the way the the injections and all the stimulation stuff went for me because I just I was just so over hormones afterwards where I was just a bit like oh god so I was kind of quite glad that that was over um they, they are so at the moment you can it's becoming a bit more popular to do something like what they call like natural IVF like a natural IVF transfer where maybe you um just test for your own like up to your own ovulation day and then they will transfer the embryo and then you just get like a little bit of progesterone support support so like progesterone like the hormone in the luteal phase after ovulation is, is key is a key pregnancy hormone um, and they might just give you that and that's because progesterone might be something that usually a lot of women might struggle with it can be a cause for why people might have early miscarriages um and yeah so they might do that but then in our case because so we had so we had nine embryos that all were sent for genetic testing and nine is like incredible like like we were so so happy but then from the genetic testing we only had one embryo out of the nine that actually made it basically like that wasn't infected uh, with it so great because that's exactly why we did this process so in that way it has worked but obviously just one is like well it's like yeah. it's, it's not great but know. and also just puts a lot of pressure on this one yeah. embryo basically yeah. um so then that so we for example then spoke to the doctor and he was just like you might as well just try and throw everything at it you know, in terms of doing a full proper medicated cycle, because then at least if it doesn't work, you know, it's still, you know, whatever, like was up with the embryo or the body just didn't want it. And it had nothing to do that you didn't have enough hormones that the lining of the room wasn't thick enough, like all these things. So these are all the kind of things that they can control. Because you basically put in a medicated frozen embryo transfer, you get an injection, which is called prostat, which puts you in a medical menopause for like a few weeks. And then you basically get HRT, so you basically get hormone replacement th- therapy to build up to to recreate like that um the second part of your of your cycle so the 
the luteal phase basically so you get estrogen tablets um to build up the lining of the womb and then like a couple of weeks later you will start like if the lining of the womb is like thick enough um then you get uh, progesterone pessaries which are like suppositories which is really great yeah. <laughs> and um and you have to take those for a while and then you have your transfer then usually like a, like a week later again it's like you say now you're going through all of this and you're going how does anybody ever just get pregnant now like, yeah. with like all Jesus. of this all of this stuff has to be like the perfect right. storm yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well yeah, that's, that's the thing and, like with a medicated yeah. with a medicated cycle at least everything is monitored so if something wasn't going the way they wanted to you know they could cancel it and then you're not wasting you know the embryos that you fought so hard to create yeah. in the first place for example so in a way like it's so frustrating how long everything takes but on the other hand obviously also really appreciate how yeah. you know that we have this medicine that you know that we have all of this to be able to to, mm, to do yeah. that basically it is incredible it is amazing yeah so where are you at with your journey now uh, so we have just booked in for the transfer so as in like like I said, it's it's gonna it's a long process, so it won't happen until like the new year, probably like January, February time or something like that. But I will get the kind of medical menopause injection, uh, like mid December, because obviously because we've got Christmas closures and stuff like that as well. But again, like you know, it's really good because because like the prostap, like the injection that you get can last a long while, or they might just give you a higher dosage, or they just give you a little bit more HRT later on, so they they can. Yeah, they can kind of just manoeuvre the process the way the way they wanted to go, which is quite handy in that sense. Um, but but yeah, it's also I just want to say like because I'm I'm mentioning so many like different kind of injections and all these things like don't Google the injections because all of them <laughs> yeah. mostly are also like cancer treatments. <laughs> what? A lot of them, yeah, like kind of estrogen related cancers and stuff like that. Also like yeah. prostap, you also get like if you want to like try and decrease like a fibroid in your womb. Or yeah, like so. You know, you I just said don't Google them now. That everybody everyone's is gonna, just gonna Google, Google, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> well, but at least they know what to expect. Yeah, now, true. Yeah, I exactly. googled it just yeah. trying to figure out what I was actually injecting myself with, and I was just like, "Whoa, why does it say cancer everywhere?" Yeah, my mind, my brain is just like <laughs> it is so much, and like yeah. going through menopause, yeah. and then out of menopause, and then it's yeah. it's a lot, and a lot of injections it's i mean but yeah. they know what they're doing don't yeah. they yeah this you yeah no hands. that's the thing it is fascinating and like in a way it's it's still it's only like half the process like if you think about it like i said it's still it still just comes down to that little sperm and the little egg you know mm-hmm. like basically just wanting to to yeah wanting to fertilize and then also for the body to say yeah like that that's cool i'll i'll take you in yeah. come on guys for the come next on nine months. yeah like it's just so much so talking about regular if people are trying to conceive and Mm -hmm. there are no issues and they don't need to have ivf yeah what is like the best scenario what can people do to help the Mm -hmm. actual business of the sperm and the egg (laughs) clapping together yeah i think especially if we're thinking about like people are kind of wanting to wanting to try to conceive like let's just say in 2023 like now is probably like a really good time to kind of just spend a bit of time to prepare like just things like taking folic acid is really important like that's just recommended by the nhs for example and it's not just because 
you know, you should take folic acid, but folic acid actually helps like the development of the neural tube of the embryo, mm-hmm. which is really important. And again, can kind of like help with preventing miscarriage and all these kind of things. So it's about preparation. And, but I think also then just like, just getting your head in the right headspace, I suppose, and just managing those expectations of that, it probably will take a little bit of time. Like if you're somebody that isn't currently tracking your cycle and you don't know what even your fertile days are, or you might not even be aware that there's only like a really small window where you can even conceive um, in the month, like for for a woman, there's only really like a 24 hour window. Whereas if we're taking the man into consideration because sperm can survive for up to five days, sperm can you can have basically you can have sex before you ovulate and the sperm in an ideal scenario are there kind of waiting just for the egg to kind of jump across into the tube basically and and, and meet the sperm um so yeah so 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 that only really gives you like a fertile window of about six days but that's like the ideal scenario basically yeah. and that usually happens for somebody with regular cycles around the middle of their cycle so that if we're talking about like textbook 28 day cycle we would expect ovulation to occur in day on like day 14 or 15 something around that so if you have regular periods and and you want to you want to try then you know that would be the time and it's about having kind of like sex every two to three days so too much isn't good because you, you're not really given the man enough time or the sperm enough time to kind of like grow again and develop enough basically and um, but also too long isn't good either because then they're just sitting there and then they're just kind of chilling out it sounds yeah, so bad like they're, they're not decaying but they're just like they're just like casual sperm it's like nah i'm not really bothered this one just like, mm, I'll, I'll just stay here i don't know but um so yeah so that that so so every so it says every two to three days if you're not sure what your fertile window is and if you're like quite i would say a sexually active couple like if you don't mind just having like sex every two to three days fantastic wait until your period stops if and you just don't do mind that. <laughs> well, do I'm just saying, well i just you know some people want that and that's fine and other people are like nah just you know yeah. don't come near Once me you fight, <laughs> that'll do <laughs> Give me a sperm and just get away. Yeah, yeah. But it's no, but it's just like even just the thought of that that you have to have. Like maybe like it just naturally happens like that anyway. Then I think if that's just like your natural rhythm, then just stay, mm. stay with that. And if you if you're happy for them to just do that for like the next or the first like three, four, five months or whatever, that's probably the best thing that you can do because it doesn't actually change so much of what you're doing just now. But I think if that's not what if that's not the case, you know, what I mean, you might be to people that are like super stressed like every day you work until a ridiculous time at night and all these things so these things might not happen so often it's kind of more like a date night thing that Mm. you know you've actually take time for each other and then going from that to having to actually do it every two days can be quite stressful I think for a lot of people (laughs) and it's just like what am I doing here so yeah so so I think for those people who would rather identify their fertile days I think definitely tracking tracking your cycle is really important just even just to learn a little bit more about yourself I think is really good um and then but the app will need information so again it will probably take three four or five cycles before the app can really kind of give you an estimate and again it's just an estimate it doesn't mean that that's actually when your ovulation occurs Mm -hmm. um but you know it's just an estimate or what you can do is you can use like ovulation predictor kits so OPKs and these are like little test strips that you can basically pee on or you can dip in your pee and um, it will kind of it will detect like the 
uh, LH starts. So the luteinizing hormone uh, rises uh, just before ovulation and reaches a peak, which signals to the ovaries, hey, ovulation should occur. And then well, and you kind of, you're testing for that peak, basically. And then you'll know that within the next kind of 12 to um, 48 hours after that, your ovulation will occur. So you'll know that you can basically have, you can time your sex around mm. that, basically. And they're pretty reliable. For a lot of people, yeah. Right. But of Not course, always. for lots of yeah. people also, no. no. Okay. And also even just, so in reality, like, OPKs are really useful, but they're also a complete pain in the butt. <laughs> because mm. just the fact, like, being able to test often enough, if you have no clue when your ovulation is, can be quite tricky. So like I said, it might just be things. Like, so I was quite lucky because we were in lockdown, like lucky and unlucky because I bet, like, every time I went to the toilet, I was testing. <laughs> Which I suppose yeah. is useful because it then, you know, gives you more chances to actually see the kind of the lines getting darker and to actually get a positive or what is considered a positive ovulation test. But obviously that's not, you know, if you're not working from home and you're doing it in work or whatever, that can be quite tricky. Kind of just stab um, in the dark a little bit. Yeah. Um but but they are useful. But the thing is if you're somebody that has quite irregular periods, again, like finding your ovulation can be really, really tough. So it's just elongates that time where you constantly having to test and test and test. And it's not obviously yeah, it's just not always realistic for people to be able to achieve that. And some people might have a slow rise of LH. So it rises slowly so you can almost, you know, follow it with a few tests over like a day or two, which is quite easy to see. As soon as it gets darker, you like you'll know that your LH is surging basically and that's what it is. But for other people it might be a really, really short window and you might just miss it. Like, you know, for months and months because you just don't know because there's no indication of when you when you can test. So that can be something. But other things to look out for as well is your uh your cervical mucus. <laughs> So yeah. this sounds um, delightful. Delicious. Please tell us more. I know. Basically, uh, discharge. Basically, mm-hmm. that you're looking out for, and it can. Well, for some for some people, they might have discharge, and you you'll be able to kind of notice from whatever shows up in your underpants, basically. But I think for some people, they might. Um, I know. Sorry, this is getting really intricate now. But but for some people, it might not necessarily end up there. So you might have to go searching for it, basically. Right. So, you know, just like. After the shower, clean hands, obviously, and just kind of basically go and have a look <laughs> for for it. And the, the texture that you're looking for is it will change from kind of a bit more being more sticky, I suppose, to kind of like kind of milky and sticky to kind of more clear and stretchy. Yeah. So what they mostly refer to is kind of like egg white, yeah. basically. So that's what you're looking for for egg white cervical mucus. Um, and that indicates like fertility basically like so these are your like your ovulation is near and the reason it needs to be like that is because that that kind of cervical mucus actually is helping the sperm pass through the cervix into the womb and then also up into the ovary so it is actually really important so that's something to look out for and the final thing to look out for is the position of your cervix so if you're going to basically uh, find your cervical mucus you can also notice the position of your cervix um, during your ovulation is really high up so sometimes maybe just using your finger you might not actually reach it if that makes sense whereas like if it's closer to your period um, it will be a lot lower right I don't know if it's actually just because you know because the whole point of it, of it is to expel the lining of the womb I suppose maybe that's why it's lower so yeah. it's less less to access or whatever I don't know um, but yeah so that these are kind of things to look out for as well that but again you know all these things like I said do take time you know you're only 
you know, you kind of have to monitor this over kind of like a few months or so to be able to really identify what's what's going on. But all these things can help you identify um, when, yeah, when your fertilities are. And if someone hasn't listened to this podcast, they wouldn't have any idea about most of this stuff anyway. They wouldn't know to look out for certain things or not yeah. eat this or not smoke and yeah. not do that and blah, blah, blah. So delve about which, in their services. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've done all the research. Yeah. You, you've had to do all the research yourself and figure it all out. But yeah. now you can tell other people and it's kind of ticks a big box for yeah. them. It takes saves them a lot of time of guessing and like yeah. not knowing what to do they can just kind of jump straight yeah. in with the answers yeah. i think the important thing is really to be is like i said just at the beginning is to just try and not get overwhelmed like i know it's so hard because like i said for myself like you want to just do absolutely everything but i think really the biggest takeaway i think is just you know now that you've listened to this and you you know you might have more of an idea of what things to do but try and not do absolutely everything at the same time basically and overwhelm yourself because you yeah. can just get stressed and bored with all of this really quickly and I think I've I've had a few friends who and from my own experience as well like we were saying at the beginning like you get you, you decide that you want to try for a baby and then you think oh immediately it's gonna happen and then immediately when it doesn't happen then you start to panic mm-hmm. is I've fa- like it's happened to a number of, of people I've known who like they've maybe got really stressed out about it and then they kind of mm-hmm. go oh well actually we're just going to chill out for a bit and then it happens when they're not thinking about it so much I've also had a friend who did go through IVF they went on to their I think they had five rounds and they were on their Mm. last round she did conceive she had quite a complicated pregnancy but then thinking they couldn't have any babies got Mm -hmm. pregnant naturally the second time without without any effort without any anything so I think you know everybody is completely different and everybody will have you know different stories and 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 you know tales like I have of of other people I think just mainly you know to be reassured that sometimes it just does not happen immediately and it doesn't mean that there's anything necessarily wrong and there are lots of things and lots of options available now as well absolutely and I think with these kind of like um with stories like that I think they can be really hopeful because you know yeah. especially for people who you know are going through it for a long time like just knowing that other people have gone through it as well or you know can be really comforting but what I just want to say is that like stress in itself doesn't have an impact like doesn't right. have a direct impact I suppose on it just because I think sometimes there's this thing in, in the infertility community where people just get so angry because people keep just telling them to just relax yeah. <laughs> which is just like the worst thing but but just in general but I think that stress can definitely have an indirect impact and I think maybe sometimes it, it's more to do with the couple or the relationship especially if it's been so strenuous on you and yeah. you maybe just didn't actually have as much sex as you maybe thought you were mm-hmm. having but when you're actually feeling a bit more relaxed like it's just more naturally comes back you know and maybe yeah. that's why it suddenly happens more because there were just you know more more chances there for for something to happen or and, and like I said not to underestimate going back to the beginning not to underestimate time like sometimes it just takes time absolutely mm. I think also if you really tune into I do believe in like chemical you know the the whole like what pheromones you're giving off like hormonally like where you yeah. your sex drive is higher naturally like yeah. oh, we are meant to like yeah. reproduce so I think yeah. like, it's listening to that and when you when you yeah. are more relaxed and you're more intuitive and you're tuning into actually how you feel and your desire you yeah. know and that's probably well definitely does coincide with like when you're you would be you know you're more fertile yeah. window as well so yeah. I think it's yeah absolutely making it less yeah. of a like a stressful or negative experience of like oh we've got to 
we've got to do this. I remember like when, when me, my husband and I decided, well, he was like, right, we're having a baby now. And you don't know my husband, but he's one of the most organised people ever okay. to live. So he just thinks everything's just going to happen exactly as he wants it to. Um, yeah. So, and then he was like, I feel like a machine. <laughs> and I was like, hum, I'm not forcing you to do anything. <laughs> You've decided I'm not this a is sex robot. I got yeah. feelings. Yeah. I was like, calm down, dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you just put it's that sort of pressure of like, right, we've got this window. Let's yeah. go, go, go. Yeah. Like, exactly. Get your hips up. <laughs> Get a cushion yeah, exactly. under there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. It's like, <laughs> like not, this is, this oh, is not yeah. fun or natural. No. No. I know. I know. I think, especially, like, I think I remember, like, being so engrossed in like all sorts of forums as well and websites and just everybody yeah. was just you know uh just they were i'm glad this didn't just, exist actually when i was trying i was just like <laughs> well I'll just get my legs up again yeah. and <laughs> hope yeah, for the rest I know. <laughs> I know and you just read all this stuff beforehand and just yeah it just makes it just makes it all just like so far removed from why you actually you know want to have yeah. sex in the first place it's yeah. just ridiculous I've yeah. seen it in a i don't think Oh, I don't know if this is true or if you guys do that. I don't know. But in the movies, like the girl after they finished will like so lay with their legs yeah. up in the air, and yeah. like because they're like, yeah, Tip that'll it upside down. is that a thing? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> like it is, yeah. No. You know, it's a thing. It's a thing that people do. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it works or not is another do. thing. But anatomically, it doesn't make sense because your womb is actually more like flat into the back kind of thing yeah. rather than up i think it's just from pictures the way we see it you know how it's like the ovaries are here yeah. and then the room is like this perfect triangle <laughs> like so if you're trying down. to get pregnant and you've just had sex laying on your back with your legs in the air is not helpful <laughs> no, no. okay i mean no, someone's no, listening to this really. going i'm so glad she's asked that question so yeah, yeah i suppose I, yeah. I think a lot of people do really do that and yeah like it's say, all right it's- <laughs> No, no, but and I think it's like there's a lot of these things in the infertility community which are biologically or nutritionally or all these things make absolutely no sense. But I think also it's not to be underestimated that you'll probably just do it anyway because you know it also probably doesn't harm you doing it and you think like oh but maybe maybe there's something about it you know what I mean maybe I think it's just one wives tale isn't it it's just one of those things that people just go oh you just do this and just do it yeah straight people no there's loads of people the a big IVF thing is like to eat a pineapple core like not the pineapple but the core of a pineapple like chowing down on that I mean there is a little bit of the middle of a pineapple yeah there is like a tiny bit of like scientific evidence because of one of the the ingredient of what's in in the pineapple core that can help with like blood flow and stuff like that but you would have to eat like quantities of enormous proportion to probably in any way benefit and then you're spending more time eating pineapple core than having sex and it's probably just not gonna (laughs) pay off yeah yeah so yeah no it's just again like i said i think i don't want to i don't want to um like, it sounds all ridiculous and crazy, but then on the other hand, I also very much understand that headspace that you're in where you will just do absolutely anything. And mm, as long yeah. as you're not harming anybody or you're not harming yourself, you will just do it because you think maybe maybe it'll help. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for kind of sharing your story and saying Thanks. all of that because anybody that wants to get pregnant, I'm just going to go listen to this podcast because 
yes. everything you need to know. So thank you so much for sharing and, and coming yeah, on and taking the time. Yeah, thank you for your time yeah. and sharing your story for yeah. sure. Yeah, because that's, you know, that's pretty, yeah, yeah it's pretty private and personal. So, and good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my you. God. I can't Cheers. wait for like Jan Feb, like just keep it's us updated. Everything. <laughs> everything is crossed, like really rooting really for you. I love that it's saying, like, obviously nobody can see that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crossing our everything. Legs up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And thanks so much for having me. I love, I love listening to your podcast. Oh, oh thank you so much. No, genuinely. No, I said it long before. I really like your dynamic. It's nice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Girlfriends without being girlfriends. Yeah, no, I, we? we always have to make sure that the guest knows. That we, yeah, no, we're not together. Like, Shona was like, oh, is Lindsay your, your girlfriend? I was like, absolutely not. I don't think Becky would be very pleased about no, that would. john definitely wouldn't so <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on we'll speak to you soon you're welcome thank okay, you bye, bye. bye.